you know, some, some people are, have been asking, you know, why do the testimony? Why not, first of all? I love to hear from God's people and what God is doing in their life. That's, a, that's that personal aspect. No one can take away your testimony, right? I mean, no one can take away the truth of what God is doing in your life. And that's just, to me, epic. And so, by the way, I'm just so glad to be back. I missed um, you guys last week. If you were here last week, I wasn't here. Um, Jason did an amazing job. I'm looking for him. Could you just give it up for the Jason and just the crew? They did so good. I was um, I'm meeting with a church planner coach once a month, and I'm down, I have to drive to Pasadena. So I was like, I'm going to listen to Jason. I think I fisted, pumped the air like 20 times going, yeah, Jason, awesome, God's, oh, that's so good, and good stuff. So I was just very excited, um, very, very good to, to see what God has been saying in his heart as, we, um, as we've been going through this vision casting, and as we're looking at what God wants to do. I'm excited about it. Um, I love the fact that we get to do what God's called us to do. That's just huge. That's huge. Because a lot of times we get down and we, we get to a place where we, we don't know what is going on. We don't know how to move forward. And, and, and like that video shows, that David had these crazy ideas and they all amalgamated into this awesome intro. And I'm just like, you really want to just take these? What is this? Why, why, why are we, okay, I'm going to do this. And, you know, and it's just weird. But, but it really comes across that, you know, we can sit there and sit there. But finally God says, go, Right? And that's what it's about, putting that one foot in front of the other and allowing God to take us out on that ocean. And there really are no borders with God. Amen? I love that. I love that. See, I, I have the border of English only. I wish I spoke more. I wish I didn't have that border. When I, when I was speaking with my Hispanic friends, I could like, I mean, I just whittle off some, you know, his, you know just whatever it is. Or, or you know, I, I have a bunch of friends in the CMA that are Chinese. And I'm like, dude, it'd be so cool to be able to speak Mandarin right now. You know, or Cantonese. But I have that border. But God speaks Chinese. Isn't that crazy? God speaks all languages. And He desires to connect with us. And He still is connecting today. I have this crazy story. So as you know, we moved this weekend because it was a great weekend to move, right? It hasn't rained in six months at my house. Six months! And I'm not kidding. Okay, high desert, 30 mile an hour winds are common every day. That's just the way it is, where we live. But 80 mile an hour winds, I'm not even kidding, about 80 mile an hour, and, and, and we're in snow flurries, you know, snow and rain, and, and it's just like, what a day to move, Lord, right? So it's been fun. But, but I mean... I know that God has called us here, my family. I know that God desires to connect with me, but I don't always, I don't always get it, right? I don't, I, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I can say it to my wife as she sits there and, and she's like, well, are we doing the right thing? Is this the right way to go? And I can say assuredly, absolutely, God's at work. But in my mind, I'm going, Lord, don't let me down. Because <laughs> I'm saying it to my wife and I believe it, but, but I'm still, I still got that little place in me that says, I don't know. And, and the reason I'm taking this rant here is because God desires to connect with us. And, and it's, it's crazy because when we put in the numbers of, of buying a house, there were four places to look at. In Redlands, Mentone, Calamesa, Yucaipa, Loma Linda, North Moreno Valley. I mean, we put the whole four places. That was it. That was it. And none of them were in Redlands. I wish it was. 
But we couldn't afford Redlands without living in a shack. <laughs> and we've got six of us. So we tried, but we just couldn't make it. So we did the next best thing, which is Ukaipa. Some of you, you know, you know Ukaipa. And we looked at all these houses and we we're like, oh my gosh, these are, oh, I don't know, this wouldn't fit us. And you know how it is. I mean, you, we want to live here for life. We want to be here for the rest of our life. And so finally we looked at this one place and we walked in. We went, oh man, this, is, this can be our home. This could be our home. So I was talking to the lady the other day. Because, again, I'm telling my wife, it'll be okay. God's got us. But I'm going, do you really? The lady's talking to me and she said, there were two offers on this house. And I took you because I was talking to God. And I just felt that God was saying, go with the pastor, not with the other person. Even though the other person offered more money. Who does that? I wouldn't do that. Like, God, more money. It's always your way, right? She... We bought this house. She said, no, go with these guys. And her kids were mad. Her realtor's mad. You know, everybody's mad at her. And she's like, I don't care. For me, it was a sign from God. And I'm going, Lord, how would I ever doubt that you want to connect with us? You desire to do something big. And God is at work and God does not stop. God is here and he's not silent. Amen? And we need to know it. And yes, you're going to doubt. You're going to see that. But, but God is doing something. And he brings us out to that water where we're finally standing there and we're going, okay, I guess it's real. <laughs> and that's the way it is, isn't it? Amen to that. And I love that. But then he doesn't stop there. He wants to grow in us as well. And that's that as we continue to take those steps and we move out past the borders of what we think we can do, God, who has limitless borders, shows us what he can do in us and through us as we finally get to that part of where we serve. Right? We're serving. And all of this is just that process of discipleship. Just the process as we, as we respond to who God is, we now, we, we basically go out and connect with the community. I can't wait to start doing prayer walks. <laughs> I can't wait to start, if I could, I'd get another job at a coffee place just to meet people. Because that's what God wants from us, to connect with the community, to get out there, to not be in here all the time. That's what I love about that video. I'm sitting in there, but it's like, I need to go outside. I need to go connect with the community. And then grow in faith and serve Jesus. That's what it's about. We honestly believe that every member has a mission. And I don't just want to say that. I want us to live it. And when you go outside and you see that, um, that, that nice, awesome info table that Dick Ashley built, it, it's so awesome because on top it has the most important parts. That's church. You responding to what God is doing in your life and signing up to just step out. That's what it's about. And I'm super excited about that. So if you want to, I don't know if you've seen it, if you're new with us, don't feel like you have to sign up for stuff, but if you call this place your home, if you are saying the mission is where I want to grow, where I want to connect, where I want to serve, then step up and be a part. Every member has a mission and we deeply believe that. But growing in Him is tough. And that's what we're going to talk about. Because we, we've been dealing with Connect and now we're looking at Grow. And this is Grow 1.0. Next week will be Grow 2.0. And um, I'll tell you, growth is tough. Isn't it just one of those things that you look at like, how do I grow? I, I, I love to garden. I really do. I love gardening. And I never thought I would. Because gardening seems really not mannish. Okay? <laughs> Let's be honest. I'm going to go garden now. Yeah, you're a wimp. <laughs> you're not very yeah you don't see arnold schwarzenegger you know gardening right 
Jean-Claude Van Damme. Maybe he does those crazy splits to reach the weeds, right? <laughs> Gardening just doesn't seem very, very manly. Um, but you know, I, I love to garden, and one of the hardest things about moving is I planted some trees that, oh my gosh, like my apricot tree right now is going crazy, and my peach tree, I'm like, finally peaches, and I have grapes, and, and, and boysenberry bushes that are starting, to, and I'm like, oh, I wish I could be, you know, get the fruit from you, but I have to give you to these dumb people that bought my house. <laughs> no, they're very nice people, but I, I, it, it's sad. Because growing is, is, you plan it, you do everything you need to do, but it's like you can just sit around and wait and sometimes it just dies and you don't even know why. And John chapter 15, Jesus likens God, our Father, to a gardener, a master gardener, that is at work in the earth, amongst us, tilling, preparing, sowing, and he desires to connect us with himself, so that we might grow in the root and have the fruit of Jesus. Amen? And that's that vine. And, and, and God isn't looking just for like one day we come out and we say, hey, I got one grape. That's not it. God wants to have bushels and bushels and bunches and bunches of fruit. And that's what this world needs. That's what this community needs. That's what our families need. That's what our schools need. That's what our work needs. Bushels and bunches of fruit. Amen? So, that being said, it seems a little unattainable sometimes because the number one reason we struggle is people. If you guys are taking notes, I, I just I love to take notes myself just because it helps me to engage and, and we're a note-taking church. So if you, if you bring a pen, um, just, just follow along with us. You don't have to take notes, but it's just a part for me. So I, I say the number one reason that we struggle with the number one problem to grow is people. It's always people. And, and let me just explain this a little better. Um, I don't think I would have an anger problem if it wasn't for my kids and my family and the, every, everybody else. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Um, I'm a really good driver, but other people on the road make me mad. Right? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, I'm fine. If there's nobody around, I don't struggle at all. I'm good. Put me in a cave and I'm fine. But you put me out with other people, and there, there I go. Oh, it's like a mirror, right? It's a mirror to us, and we go, oh, I'm ugly. Yeah, people. We struggle. That's just what we do. My family wounded me like no one ever else has. My spouse won't listen to me. My neighbor just won't shut his dogs up, right? It, I would be fine if my neighbor just cut that darn tree that's dropping all the stuff into my pool. Or You know what I mean? It's people. And it's always going to be people. But that being said, our number one way we grow is through people too. And, and there's a passage that I want to look at today that I really believe illuminates this. And it's amazing because we're going to look at some Pharisees and we're going to look at, at, at what religion does, but then ultimately what Jesus does through relationship and how that changes everything. Because God, in his desire to connect with us, wants to grow in us, and that changes everything. Amen? So, let's stand right now for the reading of God's word, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37.
On one occasion, verse 25, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now that's the Pharisee that we started out with. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Now he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? Now in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and then they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have incurred. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, now go do likewise. All right, you may be seated. Okay, a lot of stuff going on here. This is a very popular passage. There, are, If I probably took a poll right now, many of you would say, I have heard this before. The, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we just kind of look at it very easily. We just kind of look at it like in our context. As I've said, I only speak English. I'm not really good at my Hebrew. I'm not really good at Greek. I'm learning, but I'm not too great at it. And what's even worse is understanding that culture 2,000 years ago as opposed to today. If I look out into the crowd, I see a culture steeped in culture. I see people who are living what the culture says. What you wear, how you cut your hair. Everything we do is affected by the bubble we live in, in this area. And so we have to look at scripture sometimes from a standpoint where we kind of go into that bubble. Does that make sense? And just say, what, what was going on then? Why, why is this such a big deal then as opposed to now? Because see, if I were telling this story 2,000 years ago, as Jesus did, everybody in the crowd would be like, what? <gasps> no! I mean, screaming, crazy. It would have been a frenzy. Almost like when Beethoven came out with the ninth and people are jumping out of the balconies because it was so epic and evolutionary at that time. And we listen to it and go, isn't that nice? That makes my skin tingle. Oh, yeah, yeah. People are jumping out of the, you know, in the 1800s, they're jumping out going, this is crazy! We don't don't always get it. You get what I'm saying? The cultures are different. So I really want to take you on this historical path through the bloody way because that's what it would have been called. So with that being said, we have a Pharisee here. Now the Pharisee is the teacher of the law who comes to test Jesus. Good luck. (laughs) You're going to test God? Oh, not going to end well for you. Um, But he does it. He comes and, and the Pharisees were the most godly group. The Pharisees were the ones that if you were to go into that culture of that time, they would be the ones sitting at the front gate who would be judging the simple stuff, who would be saying, oh, oh, so um, your dogs are barking really loud and you don't like it and you live next to each other? Well, this is what we're going to do. They would judge over these small, simple matters and they used to judge over even the big matters before Rome took them over. So they were kind of the, the politicians, the head religious leaders, everything that needed to be done that was important and big was done by the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the scribes. 
They were some of the few literate ones in that group. They were the ones that you, that if you're walking along with your kid and you're saying, well, what do I mean by being a good person, Jimmy? Well, um, oh, see the Pharisee there? That, that's the one. Yeah, be like him. Do you get it? That's what these people were. And really, we give them a bad rap. But these guys were really trying to follow what God had said to do in the Torah. They were trying to do what God had said to do in the Ten Commandments. So what they did was take the Ten Commandments and break them up into 613 laws. And they knew every single one of them. They had them memorized. They, a, a good Pharisee would have the, the, the Torah, the first five books memorized, plus all the major prophets, plus all the minor prophets, plus the Psalms and Proverbs. Basically take your Old Testament, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages and memorize that. And you're on your way to being a good Pharisee. So these guys really meant it. So these 613 laws, big deal. And, and, and just to give you an idea of some of these laws, one of, one of the laws is, is keep... In the Ten Commandments, I think it's the Fifth Commandment, keep, keep the, um, the, the, the Sabbath holy. Do no work on, on the Sabbath, basically, right? So they took that and they broke it down into even more laws. And one of the laws was, don't look in a mirror on Sabbath. So turn your mirrors around. And that's what they would do. Because if... Now, this isn't necessarily too much of a guy problem. It's more of, I think, a ladies' problem. But, I, I mean, I, I, I've gone whole days, and I think we could see this, right? And this was, by the way, the whole decade of the 80s. Not one brother looked in a mirror. You know what I'm saying? Because if we looked in the mirror in the 80s, we would not have dressed like that. You get what I'm saying? Because some of you are like, you lived through the 80s. How did we ever get away with wearing that stuff? Because we didn't look in mirrors. So, when, when, um, when you turn the mirror around, you're not tempted to fix yourself. See? So that was a law. You turned it around. Everything was adapted so that we could do this. And they put these laws on the people. If you go to Israel today, they have special elevators that you don't actually even have to push a button to get to where you need to go. And a good observing Jew today will not even push a button. They will just wait for somebody else to push a button if they're visiting. Because they can't do any work. Do you see how this could be a little burdening? And so what we have here is we have one of these guys. And he wants to catch Jesus in a trap. So he asks a pretty tough question. Now our translation is a little tough because even in the NIV and what we look at is we can look at this in a very simple way, but, but we don't want to miss this. What, what we read is, he says, okay, so what is written, or I'm sorry, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life and what is the greatest um, answer to this, right? So what we have to look at is we have to look at what he meant by that. What he wasn't saying was, okay, what's the commandment that I need to live here? No, he's saying which type of commandment. If we look at it in the original text, what we need to understand is when you have those ten commandments, you have it broken down to two types. You have the love God, and then you have the take care of others. And we have the test to loving God, basically. Because in the first four commandments, you have all about our relationship with God. And then in the last six commandments, you have all about our relationship with each other, right? So we want to love the Lord God with all our heart. He is God alone. That's it. And then we have like the sixth commandment, which is, hey, don't murder. I think it's the sixth commandment, right? And that just has to do with our brothers and our sisters. Good, good advice, right? Some, most of you didn't murder today? Good. Okay. So, you know, those are the, those are the good things, right? And, and so what he's asking is, which type? Because what the, what the Pharisees did, they took the first four commandments, these are the spiritual ones. These are the really good ones. And these are the ones we really want to focus on. And these are the, the, the other ones down here. And so what he's trying to do is catch Jesus, right? Because if he says, oh, it's these ones, the first four, 
then he's kind of cutting people out. And there's a lot of people that would be very unhappy with that. And so Jesus would not be a very happy individual talking with people because they wouldn't like him. But then if he only says this part, then, oh, you've cut God out now. You've done all this. And so what Jesus does very brilliantly is he combines them both together and says, by the way, and if we look in Matthew 22, he says, these are equal to each other. They're the same. They are not one here, one down here, or vice versa. These are together. These are important. You need to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then you need to love others equally. Do you get it? And what's interesting about this is this is the Shema. See, this, this, is, this is what practicing Jews, even today, they will repeat the Shema two times a day. Some of them, three. And the Shema was put into phylacteries. Have you guys ever seen um, um, practicing uh, Hasidic Orthodox Jewish people? It's, it's, it's awesome, but they, they still to this day, they will do this. They will take this Shema, this is Deuteronomy chapter 6. They will take this and they will have it handscribed on little scrolls and then they put it in a box called a phylactery and they will put it because they really believe that if you put this on you, that's the commandment, have the word of God on you, in you. But see, this is what Jesus so brilliantly does. He doesn't want it just on you, he wants it in you. You see, where they missed it is they had it on them. But Jesus is saying this is a relationship on the inside. Amen? And this is what's going on here. And so hes it's almost like, brother, you got it on your arm. <laughs> he could have taken it off and said, look, here's the scroll. What does it mean to you? You see? He's asking them that type. How do you read it? See, do you read it as this is important or this is important? Now, I know I'm talking a little fast and I apologize, but I get pretty excited about this stuff. So I apologize for that. And if you guys ever have questions, please, I am here to answer this stuff. But this is awesome stuff because what Jesus does is he says, no, this is all important. And he says, this is the divine community. Relationship with God, connected. And relationship with each other, connected. Ecclesia, community. The meeting of people, growth. Do you get it? The meeting of minds, spirit, and soul, all directed towards God and helping each other. That's what's beautiful about this. And Jesus just puts it so simply. And so he answers, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Interesting word he uses here. And I just want to point this out. This idea of of, of live right, is, is the word za'o. Okay, now live, za'o, it basically means God's kind of life inside of you. This isn't just, hey, he's alive. Oh, thank God. When the baby comes out and there's that moment, of, will they take a breath? Will this baby child take a breath? And then there's life. This is not what it's talking about. This type of life is taking the spiritual breath, being past just the physical boundaries and the physical borders, but the spiritual The all-loving, all-giving borders. This is the hard part. And see, what is simple and what he's dealing with here is that grow. Not just being connected to God, but growing and having that za'o inside of us. See, this is as simple as me dealing with my kids. (laughs) Now, I prayed before I started. I should have prayed more. Because moving is tough. And at the end of the day, I had to apologize a lot to my wife, and to my kids, because I got stressed out. And instead of explaining, or I guess I could say, instead of living out za'o, I lived out uh-oh. <laughs> you, you get what I mean? Anybody ever been there? 
As I said, I do that in the car all the time. (laughs) You know, when you've been at work and you've been overlooked yet again, and maybe you're being treated poorly, and we have an opportunity to have za'o come out, but what comes out is uh uh-oh. Maybe you're around the water cooler or with the friend and we say, I just can't stand it. And we talk and we talk and we talk. But really what we're doing is we're just spraying the venom of jealousy, of anger, of frustration. And we say we love God, but we don't treat others equally. Again, it's those people problems, isn't it? Used to deal with a lot of teenagers, and I just remember talking to teenagers all the time. And teenagers have that bravado, especially the, the, you know, the teenage, the high school guys, right? Oh man, if anybody looks at me funny, I'm gonna, you know what I'm saying? They've got that, I'm, I'm, I'm tough, I'm tough, I'm tough. No, that's just uh-oh. See, if you had za you, you don't care what that other brother is doing, looking you in the face and, and, and mad dogging you from across the room. What do they matter to my and who I am inside? And again, spouses, because that doesn't end. We get to a place where we have our spouses and we want to get our za'o from that person and instead we end up with uh uh-oh when we nag and we criticize and we're let down. You get where we're going with this? And so when Jesus says, do this and you will za'o, he's talking about something deeper and always connected with people. Grow is done internally, Always to be seen externally. See, grow is always internally done in za'o so that it can be seen externally in za'o. True life, eternal life, knowing God changes what we do. Again, I'm going to bring back the Ten Commandments. Those first four commandments, if we're there, then the other six are proof of how we treat our neighbor. Amen? But... This is something that he had a problem with. He was still focused on types of people in testing Jesus. And I guess what I want to say is, are you stuck on the types? You see, following God's will is not very difficult. It truly is as simple as the Matthew 22 passage or even in this passage here of loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength and loving others as yourself. But that practically is very difficult. And so what we do is we make types, don't we? Well, I love my sister, but my brother-in-law, types. You get it? I'm good as long as I'm not in this situation at work and then, mm mm-mm, can't do it. Types. Well, you see, I have my money here, but then I... Types. But, you know, when I go to school, and I am, I am all about Jesus, but then I get to school and I see the, the girls around me. I'm a teenage boy in types. Do you see where we're going? Honestly, the za'o and the uh-oh com- conflict all the time. And we're always tempted to go into the types. Always. And God never came to the types. He comes without borders, and He says, all people, all times, Always. But, verse 29, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Isn't that easy? You see, it's like, oh man, I've I got so much good stuff from being a, 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 a youth pastor for 10 years. <laughs> Kids are awesome. By the way, they're just like you, they just don't have a filter. So, that's the only difference, right? They don't have common sense. That's it. I mean, honestly, adults are just like junior hires, but they have more common sense and filters. They just don't tell you when they're lying. So, anyway, you know, that's just kind of the way it is. That's the way I am, and that's probably the way you are. So, uh, point being... 
they would always come to me and we'd have a purity class and they would say, okay, okay, pastor, so what you're saying is I can't do this, but how far can I go? Right? You ever heard that? <laughs> what, what, what can I do? Where can, what's the line? I don't want to cross it, but I want to get right up to it. <laughs> right? That's not what they're saying, but that's what they're saying. It's a type. And you've missed it. You've asked that question, you've missed it. He's missed it. He's come to this point and he said, okay, so who's my neighbor then? Because I'm getting to a place that's not comfortable. I have borders. Because I'm trying to love God, but I've missed loving people. See, the main enemy of growth in eternal life now is religion. It is the enemy of grace every time. Religion always tries to justify ourselves before God with what we do or don't do. It's always about types, isn't it? I'll do this, but I won't do that. I'll do this, I'll hear it. And it becomes the 613 stinking laws. Right? And Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the laws. I came to fulfill them in a relationship with me. Go, I'll be with you to the end of the age in a relationship If we get up here and we say, this is the rules for our church, or this is what I'm going to command you to do, then we've lost it. Because we need to get to a point where we say, follow Jesus. What's your relationship with Jesus? We need to come back to that because we can get bogged down in the types, can't we? There's types everywhere and you're going to get hit with them when you're talking to people on the street and they say, well, who's acceptable here? Will I be accepted in your church or will this? And it's very easy to get into that game of types and we need to bring it back to the relationship of Jesus. And that's what it's about. And that's what he gets to in this story. And that's why the Pharisee gets uncomfortable and says, okay, well, then who's my neighbor? Because I'm getting a little uncomfortable here. Who's my neighbor? Relationship always justifies us by what Jesus has already done. See, if religion tries to justify ourselves before God by what we can do, then relationship through Jesus always justifies us by what He has done. There is no growth apart from Jesus. And that being said, growth cannot be seen apart from people. Amen? And so we need to know who our neighbor is. But we get to a point where we do or don't based on certain types, then we've lost it. Jesus came to all people. Religion wants to figure out who's in and who's out. Who's the one that's my neighbor? And can I say, this is, this is where we all struggle. It really is. This isn't just the nice ones that are our neighbor, or the clean ones, or the pretty ones, or the safe ones. We have a disease in Christianity today. And it's the same thing that James talked about when he said, there are people that come to your church and you say, bless you, but you don't do anything about it. Why? Types. There are people that come to your church and you sit them in the back row while the good ones and the clean ones and the pretty ones and the safe ones you put in the front row. Types. Do you get it? That should never be a part of the ecclesia. That should never be a part of the community. That should never be a part of Christianity. Types are not the way. Jesus came to all people. All people. 
And don't we ever forget that. Don't we ever lose that. That's the gospel. That's what Paul said. I try to get rid of everything else. The one that was all about types. I mean, Paul was the Pharisee of all Pharisees. Paul did what Paul did because he was trying to follow those 613 laws. Look through the, the whole setup of rules and do whatever. He had a zeal of persecuting the church. He went through and did what he did because he thought he was following God. But he had the types. And Jesus met him on the road and said, no, all people. And Paul came to the first church and he had to even rebuke Peter as Peter was getting on the side of those who said that need to be circumcised if you're going to follow God. And Paul very much so said, you're doing it wrong, Peter. You're doing it wrong because you're making God out for some people and not for all people. Do you get it? And God is for all people. I don't care who you are. And if we don't come along this bloody way, this road where people are beaten and bruised, and we don't go to everyone, then we've lost it. We have lost it. And God never loses it. So in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. A very common thing. It's about a... um, about a 3,000 foot descent. So it's, it's a tough one and it's rocky and there's all these turns. It's kind of like the road to Baldy. You guys ever been at Baldy? A lot of accidents that happen at Baldy. Okay, a lot of accidents used to happen on the road that I used to go to in the 138 and, and, and that was called the bloody highway because many people lost their lives on that road until they fixed a lot of things. In fact, when we were coming today, there was a three car pileup right on the road. It was bloody. And we were praying before we passed because we didn't know what we were going to see and it was bad. And so what we have is we have this travel. We have a very common understanding here. Road in life is difficult and hard. The bloody way. Robbed and then beaten. Horrible. But the point that really sticks here is he's stripped naked and left for dead. You see, in the Middle Eastern understanding, if you're stripped naked, that's the ultimate. You don't do that. You don't do that. When, when, when you take somebody and you beat them, it is, it is horrible. And when you take their money, that's terrible. But when you leave them stripped of all their clothes, that is the shame of all shames in the Middle Eastern society. We kind of saw that this last couple years with Abu Ghraib when they, when they humiliated the Middle Eastern people by, by stripping them down to their to their nothings to the birthday suit and that became an outcry in the Middle Eastern culture not the treatment necessarily but the fact that they just made them naked that was the worst thing you can do and so when we had people in this culture again we're looking at it in this bubble over here from this bubble here we need to see that those people in that crowd would have been like what? unacceptable death penalty for those that stripped this man death penalty you don't do that And by the way, this man is now shunned if anybody knows that he was stripped naked. He cannot go back to his community the way he did before. He is now forever marred and changed. And this this person, this man, met people that gave him problems and pain and humiliated on the bloody way. This is where the Bible always cuts like a knife. Where have you been left with problems and pain and humiliated by people? We're all there. We're all there. And so what we have is we have a priest who happens to go along down the road. Now, everybody at that time would have said, Yeah! The hero of the story! A priest! The one that is like the Pharisee! The one that's like the Sadducee! The priest! This is the one that's supposed to do what he's supposed to do! This is great! And he sees the guy, and what does he do? He passes right on by. And we know that he does this, first of all, because in Numbers 19 would have said, If you touch a dead body, you yourself are now unclean. And because of holding up the one type, you cannot do your practice in the temple for at least a week. 
In fact, so much so that many, again, here comes the 613 laws, that if I'm going to really follow that commandment, I can't even let my shadow touch that dead man. If my shadow touches it, it might make me unclean and I cannot do my duties. And so what does the priest do? The hero of the story, he passes right on by. Because what is he all about? This, not that. It's not the same. Religion got in the way. So too, a Levite, if, if the priest here is like the modern day pastor, then the Levite is like the modern day associate pastor. He does everything else that the priest won't do, which is basically everything. I know, because Jason does everything. I just come in on Sundays. I work one day a week. That's it. So I get this, you know. I, 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 here comes the Levite. And so everyone's kind of on bended knee now because they're like, what? The hero passed by. So what's this guy going to do? Because that's insane. And he should have probably done something, but I get how he didn't because he's bleeding and dying and, and shamed and you don't want to get yourself a part of that. And so it's kind of crazy. But then he sees this this guy and he passes on right by passes right on by and still people are going whoa my gosh what is going on here and I guess when we look at religion we need to understand one thing where in life are we letting the types get in the way when God is doing something in our midst are we on the bloody way passing people by See, one of the biggest areas today in the church that is such an anathema, such a disease, such a panis, uh, 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 just horrible when you look at it, is the Lone Ranger Christian. I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to take care of this by myself. I don't need others. You see, people have hurt me, and so hurt people hurt people. And maybe I'm hurting people by not touching people anymore. I just walk on by. I don't even let my shadow touch them wrong. Don't do that. This is why grow is right in the middle of our vision statement. This is what we mean when I see these testimonies up here and I see someone like Marisha and I see people that are in things growing out. I'm going, I didn't even get it until I got into that group, until I sat with other people. You see, most people, when the Bible was written, were illiterate and they had to sit and have it read and they discussed and they debated. The modern day pastoral understanding of what we look at today really came from the written word. We didn't have sermons like we have right now back then. That's okay. Sermons are great. I, don't, I want to keep working. Let me do them, okay? I like doing sermons. But back then it wasn't be that way. It was different. They would take a sermon and, and it would be discussed and it would be debated and everybody would be talking. What did he say? Okay, so what does that mean? And it was lived out. And every plural that is given in the New Testament is not you solo. It's you all. The gifts of the Holy Spirit come through you all. Not just you. And when we understand community, we get what God means by loving Him and loving others as ourselves. Growth. And nothing could be farther from the truth. God intended us to grow together when we look at it trying to grow by ourselves. Nothing could be farther from the truth. So God intended us to grow together and bear each other's burdens. This is what grow means. Religion destroys. And this is the part of the story that just blows people away. He says, but a Samaritan. You've got to think about this. But a Samaritan. <laughs> Samaritans, the crowd would have, if they didn't leave by now, they would have left. Or they would have went, what? <laughs> Boo! Samaritans! These were the horrible people. You talk about a type. One of the most interesting things that was said by most rabbis of that time is they said, if you saw a Samaritan woman giving birth, don't help her because you've just brought another dog into the world. 
You talk about types. We got them right here. So when Jesus says the Samaritan, he's really just alienated most of his religious crowd. And he's made a huge, huge leap and pushed their borders and their boundaries like never before. We see God's growth in us when we affect others by His grace. You see, we see God's growth in us when we're on the bloody way. And no matter the border, no matter the type, in fact, even the most extreme in that extreme darkness is when you really see that little tiny light. Because I can have a little light and I can go outside right in the middle of the day and you won't even know I have a light until you get burned by it maybe. And that's, I think, a lot of Christians today. They bump up into somebody and they burn them accidentally. And they're like, I'm sorry, and people don't like Christians anymore. But if we have that light in the middle of darkness and it doesn't matter about types and we're ready to go and we're ready to shine, God is doing something massive and huge. And this is what we see by the Samaritan who would never have helped a Jew and vice versa. And so I guess when we, I, what I'm saying is when we travel the bloody way every day full of people, the only way to grow in grace is to respond to His grace. This is what Jesus did in Romans chapter 5. If you guys are, have Bibles, turn to Romans 5. It's, I love this. Chapter, seven, or chapter 5 verse 7 it says this, Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, for a good person, for a clean person, for a pretty person. You get it? But through, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good, maybe, but God showed His grace, His great love, for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still ugly, while we were still nasty, while we were still enemies of Him and could not stand Him and booed and hissed if we were to hear His name. See, what's so amazing about this story is Jesus is really telling an autobiography. You see, He's the Samaritan. If you walk away from anything today, know that God always moves first. There's always that connection first. And he's come down as a Samaritan, booed and hated by his own people, by his own creation, and will not be looked at in the eye because they, he's a dog. And yet, what does he do on the bloody way? He takes the way to the cross, becoming bloodied himself. And he meets the traveler. He meets you. He meets me. And he patches us up. We have a great physician. And he doesn't stop with this type or that type. But he came even to me. And he comes to you. And what we mean by grow is when we get together and we sit and we, we struggle through this. Because you're going to struggle. Again, I, I've heard people say, will I be accepted? Well, what do you mean by accepted? Will you be loved? I hope so. Will you be challenged? Yeah. Will I feel safe and secure and comfortable in everything? Not at all. Because God, on the bloody way, got bloody himself and picks us up. And man, I'll tell you, that guy on the road, he felt it. We feel it. But God is doing something massive and big and He wants to start here and go out that door. Will you grow?
See, the irony is, again, Jesus wants to bind our wounds. I love John 10.10 because he uses the same word for robbers as he does in this story. He says the robber or the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. The way of life that we walk is the bloody way. And what does he say? He says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life, an abundant life, a life that's filled with me and others connected, growing I guess I want to ask something real simple. What has the devil stolen from you? Maybe it was years in family. Maybe it was time. Maybe the, the, the devil got a hold of you like he did when I was younger and said, this is better. Go to this. Jesus isn't all that good. Go to this. And addiction and pain and suffering. And pretty soon, you're like the prodigal son walking back saying, what have I done? How about shame? See, one of the craziest things about this story is the Samaritan not only binds up his wounds, but he gives him his cloak. He gives him his thing and puts it on him, which he could never have again, which basically means, now I've identified with you because in that day you only had one cloak. You were, you were rich if you had two. And he gives it to him. And it's all nasty and bloody. But what is on the outside? This really nice cloak that this guy never had. And you see, what the Apostle Paul says is we wear Christ like a cloak, like a garment. And that is what God sees as He patches us and binds our wounds. You see, that's what God sees as He patches us and binds our wounds. Not the bloody, but the whole and healed. You guys are in good company (laughs) if you're messed up. And so am I. See, the church is not meant to be a country club. It's meant to be a hospital. This is why we say every member has a mission. And this is why we are serious about being simple when we mean grow. Guess what? We've got two things. That's it. That's it. You know what they are? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. Discipleship class. Nine weeks. That's all. But you know what? You go in that discipleship class and you know what we're going to do? We're going to talk about now what you need to do. And it's not do anything to inherit eternal life. It's just this is what it means to be in a relationship with the one who binds our wounds. Now you go out and you be the hands and feet of Jesus. Because there are people that are on the bloody way just like you that need Jesus. And that's what we mean by discipleship. It's that simple. And then we, guess what? We have a group. We have a group. Oh yeah, we got a group over here and we got a group over here. Don't do this alone. Don't do this alone. You're struggling with your family? I've been there. You're struggling with your job? You're struggling with... See, no temptation has seized you. That's not common to man, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We all have a common enemy, but we have a common Lord. And you'll never know that in isolation. So my prayer and my challenge to you as we start looking at this grow for the next two weeks is really step out. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. But what I really want us to see is if you've never gotten into something, if you're just still trying to do this on your own or, or just me and my spouse or, or that's it, I want to challenge you. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for those men that got into my life and said, this is what God is telling me. You see, I wouldn't be in the house that we're getting into now if God didn't tell her. It's the people 
Yes, I know you've been wounded. But now's a time to get into the people of God and to the ecclesia, the community that God is doing. And God wants you to grow. And it's not difficult to understand. (laughs) But it is difficult to do. Because there are going to be times when you don't want to talk to somebody about that thing. Oh, what if I go to this group and they don't? What if I'm walking on this path and I get? Please hear me. Jesus has gone before us on the bloody way. And we want to bind wounds as Jesus has bound ours. Please, as we start putting these things out, prayerfully consider where you can go and join and be a part of the mission where you can have a mission. Lord, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. You are the God of gods, the King of kings, who says, not this person, not that person, but all people. You are so good. I still doubt. I still struggle. But I know I'm in good company. Because all the saints through the centuries and decades have been the same way, struggling along on this bloody path. But that's why you've sent others into my life, people and groups that we grew and grew. And so my challenge and my prayer is that these people, my brothers, my sisters, we would bear each other's burdens and walk together and show those around us that there is a better way and show those around us that there is an awesome way from the bloody way, through the bloody way, as the Son of God walked it and gave us the truth and gave us the life. Lord, I just pray right now for my brothers and sisters that if they're struggling, if they're dealing with things that are bigger than them, they would talk to us. we got some great people here that just want to point them to you and be the listening ears of Jesus and be the hands and feet that embrace and go together in a community that's growing. In Jesus' name, amen.